Welcome to the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. My name is Richard Lanford, and I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Today's message is called Reframing Our Dominion Under God. It is Trinity Sunday as well, and I'm not forgetting the Trinity in this message. This sermon took quite a while to write. Um, I was inspired uh, in its creation and in part of our another part of our service by some seminary classmates, uh, Bruce Gillette, who led me to uh, Exegesis by Bill Brown. We sing a hymn by Carolyn Winfrey Gillette, and uh, the legend I tell at the end was posted on Facebook by Stephen Carl. I went to seminary with each of these individuals, and uh, this. Uh, they all helped me in their own way write this sermon, which is really keyed on Psalm 8, as the text um, you may have read before listening to the podcast says. Uh, the elector is Beth Lanford, my wife, incidentally, and the other passages are from Romans 5, 1 through 5, and John 16, 12 through 15. Let us pray. Lord God, the teaching of the Trinity is a mystery and so are you but you have also made yourself accessible grace in which we stand through Jesus Christ as Paul puts it in Romans let us be we ask comfortable with your mystery we cannot know everything about you or how you work in the world or where you are leading us but that we trust your love for us as proved in the gift of Jesus Christ. So move as we listen, that we may be moved to do what we can for the good of your planet and one another who live on it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now, here's our service, our podcast. Our first reading is Psalm 8. No, I mean I said that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Our Lord, our Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory upon, above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark between, excuse me, out of the mouths of babes and infants, You have bounded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what human beings are that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crown them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This ends the reading from the Psalms. Our epistle lesson is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 
after laying out that believers are made right with God or justified by grace through faith, he keeps getting into what comes next, or he goes into what comes next. Paul wrote, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boost in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This ends the reading from Romans. Will those who are able please rise for the reading of the Gospel lesson? This morning the Gospel is from John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, continuing his teachings that took place before his arrest. Here too you will hear words that point to a triune God. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here ends the reading from John and the scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. I want to start by thanking Ben for his musical meditation, Nicaea. On Trinity Sunday, as the church reaffirms faith in one God, three persons, it's nice to hear a piece reminding us that the doctrine of the Trinity was settled in the Nicene Creed, a creed voted on in Nicaea in 325 AD. I've preached on the Trinity here before. I teach confirmation students that this teaching is a core of the church's belief system. It's a bit like a domino. Knock down the Trinity and others will fall, leaving us worse than theologically adrift. Its absence is an opening, for example, for cults, because pretty much every cult with pseudo-Christian flavor denies the Trinity. We do have the tr Trinitarian, excuse me, I'm <laughs> skipping a hymn and <laughs> skipping a page in the sermon. One of the features of God, which the creed and the scriptures celebrate, is God as creator. There are uh, warm days uh, when they come, and if I'm off or it's vacation, sitting on our back patio, looking up at the sky, the expanse of it overhead, marveling at clouds 
and trees and the blue and birds and wind and just the greens and the blues and the whites and the browns. And I get impressed again with how big this world is and how huge and creative God the Maker is. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And we hear the psalmist's skillful imagination when Beth read further, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, the work of God's fingers indeed. The Lord's sovereignty and majesty is praised with awe. Yahweh, the cosmic ruler and maker of all things, owner of glory. And we do have the Trinitarian Godhead involved in creation, by the way. I'm not going to ignore the Trinity. Um, We remember that in Genesis, a wind from God swept over the waters, the face of the waters. Well, the Hebrew word for wind, ruach, is the same word that can be translated spirit and breath. It is God's breath that was breathed into the lungs of the man of dust, bringing life to Eve and Adam. As for Jesus Christ, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, John's Gospel teaches us he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, Not one thing came into being. Hebrews chapter 1 states, In these last days God has spoken to us by a Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom whom he also created the worlds. Colossians says of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him... All things in heaven and on earth were created. All things have been created through him and for him. And in Christ, all things hold together. In lifting up Psalm 8 and creation, we are indeed in some trinity country. And now, let's return to that psalm. God's majesty is exalted. But where is our place then? How does this God relate to us, at least in Psalm 8? It would be fine not to even ask this, but just groove on the greatness of God for the sermon, were it not that the psalmist asked that question. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. How can such a glorious God notice small, short-lived, insignificant, it would seem, persons? And sometimes you or I might feel so low, we think we don't matter to God. My seminary classmate and field education partner, Bill Brown, is now a professor of Old Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary. And he wrote about Psalm 8 and about dominion. And he writes, The psalmist is impressed by the celestial glory of the astral bodies, as anyone can attest. 
The Milky Way on a dark, clear sky is a wonder to behold, a testimony to divine splendor. Professor Brown continues, it is amid such glory that the speaker inquires of humanity's identity and a place. The question posed is more than simply asking, who am I within the universe? For the psalmist, the question of human identity cannot be asked without reference to God. It is posed in the context of God's remembrance and active attention. What, where's, what's this coming from? We heard that in the two verbs of the couplet I read a moment ago. What are human beings that you are mindful of them? That's what Bill Brown called the context of God's remembrance. Followed by mortals that you care for them, which assumes God's active attention or providential care. We are not nobodies to the Lord at all. And it gets much larger. Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God. Or angels or divine beings. The word in Hebrew is Elohim. And crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. God is spectacular and omnipotent, but humankind in this context of creation is elevated also. Now, God's glory is cosmic. Humanity's glory is royal, but not transcendent like God's. The exercise of our God-given, and as Bill Brown puts it, God-derived sovereignty is over non-human species here. And if this sounds familiar, it should. As humans made in the image of God, Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth in Genesis to be stewards of the planet as God's earthly representatives. Well, how is that going for us? We've heard how badly it is going. If we believe that there's a climate crisis and it's speeding up in the wrong direction every week, However, our faith in God and following God's words to have dominion over creation does not mean to dominate it. Some of you will remember, uh, if you're old enough, 40 years ago, the Reagan administration's interior secretary was James Watt, a Christian who believed Christ was coming back soon. This theology brought him to frame or understand good stewardship of creation to mean to use the earth up, drill for oil, burn the coal, dirty the waters. That was good stewardship because the earth would then be used up, nothing gone to waste, when Christ returned to ask, how do we use creation? Oh, great, we used it up. We didn't waste anything. Thankfully, most of us at least as individuals, have reframed what it means to take care of creation far from Watt's beliefs and policies. Let's go back to Psalm 8 again. We are given dominion over the animals and even what swims in the sea. That's a kind of human royalty or glory in the psalm in the context of God's creation. But we do need to keep God's primacy top of mind. The psalm makes sure we do. Maybe you noticed 
as you heard Beth read the psalm, begin and end with the same refrain, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's at the beginning and the ending. The book ends. To quote Professor Brown, Yahweh's cosmic sovereignty recounted by even the most vulnerable human beings, he means where it said out of babes and infants, out of the mouths of babes and infants, recounted by even the most vulnerable of human beings is considered primary. Human dominion, on the other hand, is deemed derivative. For all its testimony to human glory, the psalm reminds the reader whence such glory comes, and in so doing where its limits lie. Human glory, in other words, is no excuse to play God. Our dominion over creation, under God, is also under the spirit of Jesus Christ, as we trust Christ was active in creation. Our dominion has a model in Christ, even as we know that Jesus came as a servant Lord. To borrow the question from Bill Brown, which hurries to the point, what are readers to make of the language of dominion in Psalm 8? Such imperial language is problematic ecologically and politically. A mitigating solution, he said, is found in Psalm 72, which details the job description of a king, the one who exercises dominion over his kingdom. This is a psalm I wish everybody in political power would read. And I'm not going to read it, but Bill Brown's going to tell us what, how it applies to the psalm made in creation care. He said the psalm states that the king's primary responsibility is to take care of the impoverished, defend the cause of the needy, and, quote, crush the oppressor. That's in verses 4 and 12 through 14. Thus, in our royal role over creation, we are called to take care of creation's vulnerable communities, as well as dismantle structures and overturn practices that perpetuate ecological and social destruction. As a good king takes care of his subjects, particularly the most vulnerable, he wrote, so humanity takes care of creation. It is the kind of dominion, he concludes, that leads ultimately to reciprocity. It also sounds very Christ-like. We just hope it is not too late or impossible. There's a link in the announcements to a recent report by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, the NOAA. It is the end of May report on CO2, or carbon dioxide, in the atmosphere. Concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in May were 50% higher than during the pre-industrial era, reaching levels not seen on Earth for about four million years, the main U.S. climate agency said Friday. Global warming caused by humans, particularly through the production of electricity using fossil fuels, transport, the production of cement, and even deforestation is responsible for this new high, the NOAA said. Now granted, May is usually the month with the highest CO2 levels each year. In last May, the threshold 
of 420 parts per million, or ppm, a unit of measurement that's used to quantify pollution in the atmosphere, the threshold of 420 parts was crossed. Now before the Industrial Revolution, levels of carbon dioxide held steady at around 280 ppm. A level maintained for approximately 6,000 years of human civilization that preceded industrialization. Now that level is now comparable to what it was between 4.1 and 4.5 million years ago when carbon dioxide levels were near or above 400 parts per million. Now you'd wonder, well that's pre-industrial, how could that be? Why would it be a higher CO2? At that time, sea levels were between 5 and 25 meters higher than they are now. High enough to submerge many of today's major cities. Large forests also occupied parts of the Arctic, according to studies. CO2's warming effect is already causing dramatic consequences. We know this, including the multiplication of heat waves and droughts, fires, and floods. We're aware of some of that on this, uh, these contiguous 48, but there's a lot more going on that doesn't, that's elsewhere in the planet. And these impact people who cannot move easily away from or farm elsewhere without conflict with other previous landowners in coastal nations. If you're farming near the coast and the waters are coming up, you gotta move to plant your crops. Well, guess what? There are other farmers already there. And this might be a country where it becomes tribal warfare, to place, place to have a place to make a living and grow agriculture. The most vulnerable are among the first to suffer and the most harshly. As those with dominion to rule like the good king who takes up the cause of the poor and vulnerable, let us reframe our dominion as creation stewards under the Lord God. Peter Tans, a scientist with the Global Monitoring Lab, said these developments have been coming for a long time. He said, we have known about these developments for half a century and have failed to do anything meaningful about it. What's it going to take for us to wake up? Indeed. 20 years after the movie came out, it is more than an inconvenient truth. The truth is hard to face for all of us. Can we handle the truth? I found this on a Facebook post by another seminary mate. In fact, we were hallmates across for two years. The Reverend Stephen Carl. And he posted this. He said, according to a 19th century legend, the lie and the truth meet up one day. The lie says to the truth, it's a marvelous day today. The truth looks up to the skies and sighs, for the day really was beautiful. They spend a lot of time together, ultimately arriving beside a well. The lie tells the truth, the water's very nice, let's take a bath together. The truth, once again suspicious, tests the water and discovers that indeed is very nice. They undress and start bathing. Suddenly, the lie comes out of the water, puts on the clothes of the truth, 
and runs away. The furious truth comes out of the well and runs everywhere to find the lie and to get her clothes back. The world, seeing the truth naked, turns its gaze away with contempt and rage. The poor truth returns to the well and disappears forever, hiding therein its shame. Since then, the lie travels around the world, dressed as the truth, satisfying the needs of society because the world, in any case, harbors no wish at all to see the naked truth. As followers of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we have no choice but to meet and spread his truth, his creation's bleeding and getting dirtier and strangling truth, and do all we can to reverse our path on a micro and macro scale and heal the earth. Lobbying polluters is just the start, and if you were here on Ash Wednesday, I spent a lot of time talking about that. That is good dominion, good stewardship, good discipleship, and loving our neighbor and our home and our children and grandchildren before it's too late. Amen. This sermon is one that I would call a teaching sermon. I have said before, I think, that sometimes I'll categorize my sermons like a teaching sermon, an encouragement or pastoral sermon, and then a prophetic sermon. And this one is definitely more along the lines of a teaching sermon. Um, I hope that you found value in it. I got a couple positive comments uh, today, this being Sunday the 12th. And I thank you for tuning in and listening in. Um, and I hope you'll tune in next week when we'll be preaching on uh, June 19th. May God bless you. May God bless our world going through all of the violence and dispossession and uh, angst that it is around the planet, including the planet. And may God bless your week. Thanks again. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Redheaded Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.